who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! You're listening to Greetings from Salton Sea. Episode 1, Tibia. Kellen, tell me what you hear. Ticking? Your metronome? You don't hear it? They can probably hear it in the next office. Besides that... You're rich baritone, Doc. You must have had vocal training at some time. Maybe the traffic outside your window? Or I could just be imagining that, I don't know. Look, this isn't working. Keep your eyes closed. Breathe deep, measured breaths, and relax. Okay. Now, what do you see? My eyes are closed. Your mind's eye is never closed. Is that what your bumper sticker says? If you don't wish to see, then what do you hear? It's the morning of the day your brother disappeared. It was Sunday. I remember that. Did you go to church that morning? Hell no. Our family didn't go to church. Vernon, my father, didn't buy into the concept of spending the Sabbath with his butt plastered to a pew. He always said that for a working man, Sunday was for football. Working man. Makes me think of a mechanic or a plumber with stained overalls. Not a fucking realtor in a cheap suit. He sold property in Salton Sea. Did I mention that? <laughs> this isn't a casual conversation, Callan. Yeah, okay. This is a guided memory session. A session you agreed to. I'm trying to help you get past the blockade in your memory. I know. I remember hearing the church bells. Different bells. There are more churches in Sultan Sea than you'd think. 
for a one-time tourist town. They say there's more churches per capita in Las Vegas, too. Did you know that? Callan. Sorry. Force of habit. Long-form feature writers need to pad their word counts rather than the other way around. It was Sunday. Now, fast forward to early evening. Got nothing. The church bells are all I remember. It was 20 years ago. I was 12. Memories fade with time. Not the abduction of your brother. The memory of that day didn't fade. You buried it with a mental pickaxe and shovel. Because Kevin was my fucking twin, okay? We shared a womb, a birthday, and our first 12 years of existence. And then he was gone. You had an emotional breakdown in the aftermath. Now what my file says? That's an understatement if there ever was one. More like I completely lost it and became a catatonic zombie. So what? Wouldn't you? I was locked up in a fucking loony bin for nearly six months. You weren't hospitalized for displaying normal grief, no matter how severe or devastating. That was the first time I tried to kill myself. And yesterday was the second time. Unless there are other occasions that I'm not aware of. No, just twice. Then and now. Hanging yourself isn't as easy as it seems, at least for me. A noose is more complicated than a Rubik's Cube if you don't know what you're doing. I should have Googled it, but it wasn't exactly thinking clearly. I'd down a half bottle of vodka and swallowed a shitload of pills. After more than a decade of rigorous sobriety. Yeah, well, you don't hop off the wagon, you fall off. Right on your fucking face. And now I bet you're going to say that I didn't really want to die, that my actions were just to cry for help. There's no reason it can't be both. That's not a very therapeutic remark. Sometimes the truth is more important than the soothing balm that belies it. Ooh, heavy shit, Doc. You ought to write a self-help book. I can release you after your 72-hour hold, or I can admit you against your consent. The decision rests with you. You just said I don't have a choice. But I do. And I'm leaving it up to you to assist me in making my decision. Convince me you're past this crisis, that you are regaining some semblance of stability, that there won't be a repeat of the incident that brought you here. Talk to me, Kellen. I'm not taking notes. I'm listening. But you're recording this, aren't you? As I'm required to by law. When I walk out these doors, the police are going to be waiting for me. To question you. Not arrest you. At least, not initially. So, the longer I stay here... The inevitable can be delayed, but it's still inevitable. Yeah. Okay. All these years, a part of me thought maybe Kevin was still alive. That okay, he'd been abducted, but maybe he hadn't been murdered. And buried in some shallow grave in the desert or dumped like trash in some river. Like, maybe he'd been held captive or something. Yeah, probably by a psycho pervert, but at least he'd still be alive. With anal scarring and destroyed psyche, but still among the living. 
Or better yet, held captive by a crackpot cult who needed slave workers to plow the fields in their fucking co-op. Enslaved, okay. Beaten, probably. But at least without the soul-destroying sexual abuse. And when he got big enough, and strong enough, he could manage to escape. You know, like those young women held as sex slaves for years, but they weren't killed. I don't know about their quality of life now, but at least their families got some relief. What is it that triggered you? You can't go home again. So says Thomas Wolfe. You've read Wolfe? I guess you're more than just a theatrical voice in a white lab coat, Doc. I did my English undergrad thesis on Wolf's novels. But that's probably in my file, too. I bet there's even a spreadsheet in there on my potty training. The human mind is a fearful instrument of adaptation, and in nothing is this more clearly shown than in its mysterious powers of resilience, self-protection, and self-healing. Yeah, but don't leave out Wolf's next line unless an event completely shatters the order of one's life. Your life-shattering event occurred two decades ago. What was it that triggered you recently? I had no intention of ever setting foot back in Salton Sea again. When I turned 18, I got out, moved to L.A., went to college on a journalism scholarship, had my parents meet me halfway on holidays, the garden room at a chain hotel in Santa Ana for Thanksgiving, a Morongo casino all-you-can-eat buffet for Christmas. After graduating, okay, I partied too much, but I climbed out of that self-indulgent pit and managed, barely sometimes, to stay clean. But I managed, got a good job too, moved to Seattle, somehow acquired a good-looking fiancé, a reasonable mortgage on a starter house, adopted a rescue dog. And then? The fiancé got hot and heavy with her ex. The real estate market tanked, so I had to scramble out from under an upside-down mortgage. And the dog got hit by a car. C'est la vie. Glib is for dinner parties, Kellen. Not for psych-hold evaluations. Yeah, sorry. My mother called two weeks ago. She and my father are both over 70. She's a bit dithery now, and... He's showing signs of dementia. That's what you get with parents who wait to have kids. All they managed was the one birth, Kevin and me. A miracle, they called it. Do you consider yourself close to your parents? Closest for horseshoes and hand grenades. That wasn't a loaded question. I don't know. We talk every couple of weeks or so, but besides holidays, that's about it. You called me, Mom. Who else would be on the other end of my cell phone? Well, I don't really know. Mom, that's a rhetorical question. What's up? You sound so far away. That's just the cell phone reception. I'm at home in Seattle. I'd probably sound the same if I was in Beirut. Beirut? Why, why would you be in Beirut? Mom, that's just an example of a faraway place. Why did you call? I thought you could take care of it. Take care of what? They found him, honey. They found Kevin. Finally, after all these years. 
the coroner just needs someone to claim him. Will you do it? I don't think I can manage. Not with your father being so... Well, you know. Will you fetch your brother? Bring him home to us? Honey? Are you there? Kellen? Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Afternoon. Help you? Yeah, I'm here to claim my brother's remains. His name is Kevin Rucker. I'm Kellen Rucker. Did you receive a letter from the district attorney notifying you that the investigating detectives were authorizing release? My parents did. Do you have the case file number? Uh, yeah, I do. It's here somewhere. Hang on. 98732. Don't you need me to identify him first? The lab made a positive ID with the DNA sample on file. Oh, yeah, of course. Um... How did he die, does it say? Was he murdered? Do they know? For both cause and manner of death, undetermined has been checked. Now this can change since the case isn't officially closed, but your brother has come off our missing persons roster. That's something. Good for the department's stats. Sign here. And here. I'll have his remains brought out. It'll be just a few minutes. Uh, I was thinking you could recommend a good local mortuary. I can authorize them to pick him up in this hearse or van or whatever. I've got to make funeral arrangements. I'd hold off on that if I were you. Why? Case isn't closed. Then why are you releasing his body? We're short on space. We were supposed to move to a bigger facility, but the city budget deficit last year put those plans on hold. You busting at the seams with unclaimed corpses or something in a dead town like Salton Sea? You'd be surprised. It's like the lost luggage department at a train station back there. Only with bodies and body parts instead of trunks and suitcases. Really? Nobody to claim them. Nobody to inquire as to their whereabouts. Last person who left Salton Sea back in the 70s turned out the lights. That's not exactly true. People still live here. If you can call it living. Now, you might not believe this, but back in the 1950s and 60s, during its heyday, Salton Sea was the premier vacation spot in California. Bigger than Disneyland or Yosemite Park, even. A regular recreational paradise. Boating, skiing, fine dining, sunbathers packing the entire length of the lakeshore. People came here to be seen, especially the Hollywood types. Throw a stick in the direction of the lake, you'd be sure to hit a movie star or a famous politician. I know for a fact that President Eisenhower stayed here. So did Rock Hudson and Frank Sinatra and that uh, pretty little blonde in that Hitchcock movie, Psycho. What's her name? Janet Leigh. I know all about this place. I grew up here. Then you know. Yeah, I know. 
Go on, Kellen. Please continue. The next part gives me the chills. Stalling can be enervating, exhausting. Or it can be a simple rest up on the mental highway to hell. Glibness is an aspect of uh, deflection. You think? Avoidance is a maladaptive means of escaping a confrontation with a stressor, Callan. Such a coping behavior is an attempt to protect oneself from psychological damage. That doesn't sound so maladaptive, Doc. Besides, I have an eidectic memory. With the exception of the day of Kevin's disappearance. And that's exactly how it went down at the coroner's office, word for word. The longer you avoid facing what upsets you, the worse the psychological consequences. It's no different than allowing an open wound to fester. What happened next was fucking nuts. What happened next, Kellen? That was fucking nuts. Here you go, Mr. Rucker. What is this? The identified remains of Kevin Aaron Rucker. Case file 98732. This is a brown paper bag. Little known fact, moisture condenses in plastic and can ruin evidence, especially where it's hot or humid. We find that plain old lunch bag paper is better for long-term storage. This is a bone. Tibia, to be precise. What? Commonly called the shin bone. See, you got two long bones in the lower leg connecting the knee to an ankle. The other's called the fibula, but the tibia is the longer of the two. It's not that long. It's like a thin flute. Your brother went missing when he was, what, 12? That belonged to a child. That's a child's tibia. How could they even know it's Kevin? DNA, like I said. Probably from the bone marrow. They got the means to do that now. The lab can work wonders with even the minutest sample. But what am I going to do with this? I can't show this to my parents. I can't arrange a funeral for one bone. If it was me, I'd wait until they find more. I'm not saying you can ultimately assemble him in his entirety, but you might have enough odds and ends for a shoebox burial. Where was this found? On the beach. Out with all the fish and bird bones. It's the size that caught the eye of the guy out there scavenging with a metal detector. There's no bird with bones that big, except maybe a California condor. But bird bones are hollow. You know, light, so they can fly. This bone never flew anywhere. No, it didn't. It turns out it never even left Salton Sea. Even after all these years, whenever I hear the name Salton Sea, I don't think of the town where I grew up. I think of the lake for which it's named. Without the lake, there would have been no town. From the perspective of an airplane, the sight below is enough to blow your mind. A massive lake smack in the middle of an inhospitable desert. Fucking huge. But it's the color you really remember. A radioactive sapphire blue. A shade that shouldn't exist in nature. The touched-up blue you find on travel posters depicting an idealized Adriatic. The blue artist Maxfield Parrish used to illustrate a sky in an ancient land that only existed in his crazy, vivid imagination. 
A too-good-to-be-true shade of blue. And it was too-good-to-be-true. But what really triggers recall the most? Think about it. Merely reminiscing seldom brings a flood of emotions with it. Maybe nostalgia, if you're lucky. A specific sound is more likely to pack an emotional gut punch. Whenever I think of salt and sea, I remember the sound of the hot Santa Ana winds blowing across the surface of the lake and creating these little lapping waves. You could hear the soft howl of the wind. You could hear the wavelets splashing against the shore. Seagulls, too, forever shrieking overhead like airborne banshees, even though Salton Sea is more than a hundred miles from the Pacific Ocean. That's the ambient background noise of my childhood. I hear it echoing in my head to this day, like a conch shell forever plastered to my ear. But the most powerful trigger? Not sight, not sound, smell. A whiff of a lover's long-forgotten perfume can bring tears to your eyes. The heady smell of a new-mown hayfield can evoke a childhood long past. It's the same with salt and sea. What I recall most is the stink. It got in your clothes, it got in your hair, it attached itself to the exposed membranes in your nostrils. Everything stank. And as the temperature rose, it got worse. When the breeze shifted, it carried the stench from the dying lake to the town, washed over everything like poisonous gas. The gagging odor of dead fish, dead birds, decay, rot. When the temperature went up, the lake stank of rotten eggs, that unmistakable odor of hydrogen sulfide. When the Santa Ana winds blew, people as far away as Los Angeles, which is more than 150 miles away as the crow flies, got a whiff. Strong enough to make the Angelinos puke up their sushi and martinis. It got so bad when I was a kid, some residents took to wearing army surplus gas masks. Others walked around all day long with a swipe of Vicks smeared on their upper lip. Everyone who had a car had enough little air fresheners hanging inside their vehicles to decorate a Christmas tree. The first thing you learn in Salton Sea is not your name. It's how to control your fucking gag reflex. Greetings from Salton Sea is created by Cassandra Wells and Charlie Randazzo. Written by Cassandra Wells. Directed by Charlie Randazzo. Produced by Fred Greenhalge and Marco Palmieri. Executive produced by Cassandra Wells, Daniel Kamen, Molly Barton, and Julian Yap. Performed by Daniel Kamen, Tom Bayer, Jeff Blumberg, Marta Cross, Harry Gawillam, Jackson Gawillam, Mark Irvingson, Charlie Rendazzo, Time Winters, and Tracy Winters. Post-production producer, Daniel Kamen. Sound design and editing by Charlie Rendazzo. Music by Quiet on the Set. Additional cover art by Heather Mason. Production Manager, Devin Shepard. Production Coordinator, Angela Yi. Executive in Charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. 
where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.